Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. I want to just start off by sharing a story of an adoption experience. This man writes, My wife and I waited 15 years for a child that never came by the natural way. I remember standing in front of the judge on our day of adoption, and he pointed his finger and asked, Is anyone coercing you to adopt this little boy? And after we had assured him that we're doing so because we love him, he made this statement. From today on, he's your son. He may disappoint you. He may grieve you. But he is your son. And everything you own one day will be his. And he will bear your name. And then he looked to the clerk and gave this command. I order a change in this child's birth certificate and may it reflect that these are the parents of this child. It was then, this man says, that I realized that my Heavenly Father loved me so much that without coercion, He loved me and gave His all to me. And one day, He changed my name, and I gladly bear His name and His image. Adoption is a beautiful yet risky endeavor. Depending on the age of the child, there's many things that are unknown at the time of adoption, like who are the birth parents, Was there drug abuse involved? Are there any mental health issues or medical issues? But I've never met adopted parents who said, I wish I would have never adopted. Once the child is brought home, that child becomes a part of the family no matter what. Now here's the thing. We all come with lots of problems. Yet God chose to adopt us into His family. And not once does He say, Man, I wish I would have not adopted that person. But the difference between God and human parents is that he knows everything, warts and all, but yet he still chose to adopt us into his family. And God adopts us out of this world and into his arms, and he calls us children of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm in the third part of a series called Hashtag Not of This World. And I use the hashtag to show that the hashtag is part of this world, but those things all fade away. We're not of this world. We're children of God. And it's based on this verse where Jesus says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So what does that mean? I'm not of the world because I'm a child of God. That's what makes us different than those who are of the world. We're in the world, but we live in our Father's house. Now, out of all the writing in the New Testament, the Apostle John is the one that writes more than any other writer about being children of God. Now, remember, John was one of the inner circle with Jesus. It was Peter, James, and John. James was John's brother. And like Peter and James, John was saved out of being a fisherman to being a fisher of men. James, John's brother, was martyred early. In Acts 12, it states that King Herod killed him with the sword. So James' brother had died as a martyr, but John lived well into his old age. Remember when Peter and Jesus were having that conversation in John chapter 21, 
about Peter's upcoming death later as a martyr. And Peter, as he always just blurts out what's in his mind, looks at John and says to Jesus, what about him? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, what if I decide to leave John alive till I return? And there were a lot of people that thought, oh my gosh, John's going to live till Jesus returns. Well, John was exiled to an island on Patmos, and he didn't live till Jesus physically returned, but he lived until he saw Jesus return because he wrote Revelation, which is all about Jesus's return. Now, John was the first to write about being a child of God. In his gospel, he states, But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And he continues this beautiful theme in his epistles, where he writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Jesus. So we are not of the world. We are of a different world. How does one become a child of God? By faith. It says those who believed in his name can be called children of God. So is every person on the face of the earth a child of God? Technically, no. Where every person on the earth is created by God, but not every person on the face of the earth is a child of God until they believe in the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And at that moment, the person receives God into their life by the Spirit, and the person becomes born again. And we'll talk more about what that means next week. But what happens is you're now born or reborn, born from above into a new family, which is the family of God and as God is our Father. And at that moment is when you leave this world and you enter the next world because that child of God eventually will pass away and then be in the presence of God as his child. That's a beautiful thing. I'm not of the world because I'm a child of God. Next, children of God then live in their father's house. You've changed addresses. Whatever house you live in, that's your earthly home. But you have a heavenly home, and Jesus calls it our father's house. In fact, in John 14, he says, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. Now, who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples, those who would believe in him. And there are two important things he says in that statement. First, he says that God has a house with lots of rooms. Now, when I grew up, we had a pretty big house for us. We had a family of five, and my dad worked really hard to provide for us. And we had lots of rooms, but I never forgot whose house it was. It was not my house. It was my father's house. And so we have a father's house in heaven. In fact, when Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms, 
He's referring about where God is in heaven. That's what he's talking about, my father's house. And the room is a place where you live, a dwelling place. And guess what? There's enough room for every believer who has ever placed their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, according to Revelation 21, when you add up the numbers of the new heaven, the new Jerusalem, it comes out to about 3 billion square miles of space. Now, let's just say hypothetically, we don't know for sure, but let's say there have been 3 billion people, and the more that will come currently, who have placed their faith in Christ. Well, that means that every believer gets one square mile of space. That's a lot of space to live in. So God, his Father's house, has lots of rooms. And Jesus says that I go to prepare a place for you. Remember, the disciples were all upset and distraught. Jesus, why are you leaving us? Quit talking about leaving us. And he said, well, it's better that I go. First, I'm going to send my spirit. Secondly, I'm going to prepare this great place for you. And to prepare, when Jesus says that, he says, I'm making it ready for you. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to get your place, your room ready. Now, do you think that's going to be an awesome room, an awesome place to live? If Jesus is making it ready for you? Yes, it is. Now, we're going to jump through some scriptures today in your Bible. We're going to go through three different passages. The first one I want you to turn to is John chapter 14, because that's where Jesus says these words about going to his father's house to prepare a place for you. I just want to read through this. Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and so I'm going to read starting in verse 1 of chapter 14 of John. And he looks at his disciples and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Because remember, he's saying, I'll be leaving you. But he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. And then he says something incredible. He says, believe also in me. He's placing himself at the same level as God, which he rightly should. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, don't you think I'm going to come back and take you to be where I am? And you know the way to where I'm going. But then Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And then verse 6 is one of the most famous statements in the Bible. Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one's come to the Father but through me. So anyone who is not a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, is not going that way. The only way you can get to your Father's house in heaven is through Jesus. Okay, so that's the first passage. Now, just a little caveat about that context. Does anyone know what happened just prior to Jesus saying those words in chapter 14? In chapter 13, Judas leaves, and he leaves to go betray Jesus. Now, Judas hung out with God's family, but he was not a member of God's family. It's not enough to hang out with Christians. 
There's a saying, going to church doesn't make you a Christian as much as going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. You have to place your faith in Jesus Christ, and you have to believe in his name. That's why he says, believe and trust in me. So that's how. That's how you go to your father's house. Next, children of God love their brothers and sisters. Now, that's a hard one. I had two brothers growing up. We loved each other, but we fought a lot. We argued a lot. Well, guess what? That happens in the family of God. But God says that we are to love our brothers and sisters. That means that when you make a commitment to Christ in faith, you become a member of God's family, and then you join a local church to commit to that local church as a family member, because that's how you grow up in the family of God. Now, I don't know about you, but it's hard to get along with everybody. And you might like somebody more than other people, but the fact of the matter is you have to love everyone as Christ loved you. It's a command by Jesus to love one another. And John reinforces that command when he writes, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. If you have hate and unforgiveness towards your fellow family member in Christ, that means that you don't love God. And you can say, oh, I love God. Well, if you love God, then you need to love your brothers and sisters who are in God, in Christ. And that means you need to forgive and move on. In fact, you can't say you love Jesus and not love his church. You know, there's a lot of people say, oh, I got hurt by the church and everything. Well, Jesus didn't hurt you. You could have gotten hurt. And I understand that. I have. We all have. But we have to love one another. That means we work through hard stuff. We don't just give up. In fact, one of the things that we miss the most by not gathering together, believe it or not, is not as much the worshiping together and the teaching. I mean, we can do that still pretty good. I mean, it's not the same, but it's good. But what we miss is the hard work of working out our salvation when someone takes us off. And we have to go talk to them and say, you hurt me. And then you have to, if you hurt someone and someone comes to you and you say, you work through it and you reconcile that relationship because you are family members. And guess what? You're going to spend eternity with them. What if their room is right next door to yours? That's what God's doing. See, God matures us and sanctifies us in Christ by those hard things that we have to go through. So that's what we miss the most by not gathering together. So I want us to go now to the second passage, which we're going to spend the most time in. Turn in your Bible to 1 John. This is a difficult passage because a lot of people get caught up in, is this like a works-oriented thing? Is John saying that as a believer we never sin? I mean, those are the questions that we're going to try and tackle. But he starts off in verse 1 of chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, 
and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. So we're maturing. We're maturing. You grow up. And then he goes, we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we will be like him. So we'll be fully mature because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So when you know who you are, you will live as such. Okay, so that's up to verse 3. Now it gets a little difficult here. He goes on and says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And that word means without law. So it's people who don't respect authority and don't respect God's law. Okay? You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Up till then, we can say, okay, he's speaking that in Christ we are righteous, we are clean, our sin is wiped away. But then he goes on in verse 6, no one who abides in him sins. What? No one who sins has seen him or knows him. What the? Are you kidding me? How are we going to do that? I sin every day. Just think about the things that you think about. What is he saying? And he goes on, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Let's just stop there for a second. In verse 4, John says something important. He says, everyone who practices sin. Now, as a musician, I practiced a lot. I got really good at playing the piano. And I got good enough at singing. But I practiced. So that means that I spent a lot of time at doing that. So what John's saying is, you can practice righteousness. Like, you can practice being righteous. If you think a hurtful and angry thought, you can catch yourself and say, that's not right. You can confess it and then think correctly. It takes practice. You can practice sin or you can practice righteousness. So when John keeps going here and he says, no one who abides in him sins. Well, that word is a verb, obviously, and he's going off of what he said before. So he's not saying no one who abides in Jesus sins. He's saying no one who abides in Jesus practices sin. So like keeps sinning. That's why some of the translations say keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning knows him. Because the devil, he says, deceives you. And the one who practices sin is of the devil. Now, just in the context of this letter, John is writing to a divided church, and he's trying to help them see the children of God and the children of the devil. And I want to just say a couple things, because if you just look at that, you'll get lost without reading the whole letter. Because here's the thing, if you jump back to the beginning of the letter, where John says in chapter 1, verse 8, that if we say that we have no sin, we're a liar. How would he go in the next part of the letter saying that you're not sinning? You're like free of sin. No, because he says, if we say that we have no sin, we're a liar. So you have to think in context. 
in chapter 2, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And then he says the greatest verse in there, which is if you confess your sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive you. And then he goes on and says that, don't you know that the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world with the Antichrist, someone who rejects Christ, is, is antagonistic towards Christ. You can see children of the devil who are Antichrist. And so he's trying to say, those are not children of God. You are children of God and you need to act like it. That's what he's saying. But he goes on. He says, the devil has sinned from the beginning, but the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And no one who is born of God practices sin, keeps on sinning, because his seed, God's seed, the Spirit, lives in him, and he is not able, and this is how it is actually in the Greek, not able to keep sinning. He is not able to keep sinning because he's born of God. That means that you're convicted because you are sinning. That's that conviction of the Spirit because you're a child of God. God cares about you and his Spirit is convicting you because that's not how children of God act and think. And then he goes on in verse 10, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not. And here's the key. Love his brother. That is a big part of being and showing that you are a child of God, is that you love your brother and you love your sister and you may not get along. Like in our family, our kids don't always get along. You know, my wife and I don't always get along, obviously. But we love each other, so we work through things. John is writing to a church that is divided and fighting with each other, and he's saying that's not how children of God act. That's important to understand. If you love God and you're a child of God, you will love your brother and sister. Next, children of God have been given a rich inheritance. Don't you love that? I mean, Jesus even said, I go to prepare a place for you. What better thing is that? That's why John starts off, he says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called children of God. That's a rich blessing of God's grace. Incredible benefits come along with being a child of God. And the greatest of which is the gift of eternal life in heaven with Jesus. This is really important, what I'm going to delineate here. I'm going to delineate between child of God and son of God, because those are two very important theological terms. So how do you become a child of God? You believe in Jesus Christ, in his name. You trust in him for your salvation as your Lord and Savior. And then at that moment, you receive him into your heart by his spirit, and you become a new person, you are born again, and you're taken from being a child of the devil to being a child of God. But here's the question. Does every child in the family partake in the inheritance of the father? Well, you have to go back to biblical times, and you have to realize that it wasn't every child that got the inheritance. It was the eldest son who inherited the blessing. You see this throughout Scripture. 
In fact, it was the very issue between Jacob and Esau, because Esau was the elder twin, Jacob the younger. But what happened? Jacob tricked Esau and therefore took away Esau's rightful blessing as the eldest son, and Jacob received it, and he went on to become Israel. You even see it in the parable of the prodigal son. We have to realize that that kid that left was a son. He was in his father's house. He had all his great stuff. He goes, I'm going to leave for a while and try and figure it out. And then he had to figure it out the hard way, came back home, but he was a son. He was not just a child. So as the Apostle John wrote most about being a child of God, guess who wrote most about being a son of God? The Apostle Paul. In fact, Galatians 3.26, he says, For you are all sons, and the word is huios, of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's a very important delineation because the Greek word for sons is huios. The Greek word for child is technon. John uses technon. Paul uses huios. They're two different words, and they mean two different things. The NIV, sadly, translates Galatians 2.26 as children. I love the NIV, but they did a bad job there in Galatians 2.26, saying that you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, because the word is son. And it misses the entire point of Paul's theology. I'm going to explain that in a minute. But Paul makes a clear delineation between a child and a son. In fact, turn to Galatians chapter 4, and let's look what Paul writes. Because remember, you are a child of God. That's when you enter the family of God, but you don't stay as a child. You grow up. So what Paul says in chapter 4 of Galatians, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he doesn't differ from a slave. What? Why? Because he's under the guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we are all children, we are held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. So he's saying, as a child, you're under the ABCs, the elementary school of stuff. You're under the law. So he's speaking of being under the law. And then he says, But, in verse 4, it's a very important verse, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman under the law, because he had to live under the law so that he can fulfill the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as children. Is that what it says? The adoption as sons. That's how we receive the inheritance. Here's what happens. You become a new creation. You become a child of God by faith. But that's not all that happens. When you receive the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ that comes in your life, you are now adopted into God's family as a son. And he goes on, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's why we refer to God as our father. Therefore, and here it is, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you are an heir to everything that is in Christ through your father, God. Now, this is important to understand. You are not subject 
to your earthly gender. God made you in his image, male and female, but as Paul states right before he talks about, in Galatians 4, he talks about that we are neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male nor female, we are all one in Christ. That means that this blessing of being a son transcends gender, physical, and that all men and women who are in Christ are adopted as sons, and not just a son, the firstborn son, because you receive the inheritance that your father has for you through Christ. God has adopted you, warts and all, and didn't just make you a child. He grew you up into a son. You are an adopted son, and you receive the inheritance of Christ. Isn't that awesome? So I am not of the world. I am of the word. Listen, you need to believe the word, not the world. So I'm going to end with giving you some wordy advice, not the worldly, the wordy advice. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are not who you used to be. You are not only a child of God, You are a son of God. And Jesus is not only your Lord and Savior, he's your brother. And we have a family of brothers and sisters, but we're all sons because we receive the inheritance. See, the world will try and separate you. The world will try and put you in a box, a category, a demographic. But those are of the people of the world. They'll try and pit you against one another They are trying to do it for power and their worship. They want power. They want worship. The devil wants power. The devil wants worship. Because the children of the devil want you to believe lies. And they are sadly blinded from the truth. But I hope you know who you are. I hope you remember who you are. Because that's God's grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve to be adopted into his family and become sons so we can receive the inheritance and have a place in our father's house with Jesus. We are sons of the one true God who has a place for you. Jesus is preparing a place for you in his father's house. Therefore, we need to love one another as Christ has loved us. That's what shows we are children and sons of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us of who we are, but I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't forget because the world would try and separate us and divide us and lie to us, but we're not of the world. We are children of God, We are sons of God who have received the full inheritance in Christ. We have a place in heaven in our Father's house. And even now, it's already prepared. God is waiting for us to come home. And he's going to give us a huge hug. And he's going to say, welcome to your place, your room, your new home. And it's going to be awesome. So let's keep our eyes on the truth which is Jesus Christ and His Word. Amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice 
in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me-